Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church today. Happy Mother's Day. Good morning to everybody upstairs in the Well Cafe. Uh, big thank you to our FX worship team that uh, shared with us in both of our services. Give it up for our FX worship team. <clears throat> They're sharing with all of our worship services this morning a wonderful, uh, joyful song. Uh, just a great way to celebrate, great, great way to worship. Uh, we'll see them next week at Family Experience on Sunday evening. I hope you're going to be there for that. Uh, the other thing you saw in the, before we get started, you saw the, uh, the announcement for Pastor Mike's uh, final series called Confessions of a Pastor. We just got in this week uh, the teaser footage uh, for that, and I can't wait uh, until next week to see it, so I want to show it to you now because it's really that good. So can we cue that video so we can all see that real quick? gives me chills just watching that. Uh, I'm so excited for next week. Uh, I hope you have plans to be here to hear from Pastor Mike and his uh, 20 plus years uh, of, of experience here in this church alone and almost 40 years experience as a pastor uh, as he shares with us. Just very much anticipating that. Can't wait for next week to hear from that. But we have business to attend to this week. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to do this. Uh, we're going to wrap up our series called Declutter uh, before we get to next week. So if we haven't met before, my name is Johnny. I serve as one of your pastors here at First Methodist Mansfield. It's good to be in church with you today. If you brought your Bible with you, I'd like for you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we have some upstairs uh, on a shelf in the back of the room. We have some down here uh, in the seat, uh, under the seat in front of you. If you're using that blue Bible, you can find our scripture for today on page 1508. Now, uh, like I said, this is the final week of our series, Declutter. Each week, we have sought after ways uh, to create space in our cluttered and our chaotic world. We started this series by noting that everybody gets this uh, idea of clutter. Uh, we understand it. We live it. Uh, we know what it is. But the series isn't really about that type of clutter. Our series is really about uh, taking our understanding of the physical clutter that we know in our life and applying that and using it as a way to understand uh, the clutter and the chaos that we experience deep within ourselves, the disharmony that we feel deep in our in our souls, and we use this physical clutter to understand that a little better. And I, and I hope, for those of you that have been here, that this series has blessed you in some way. 
for some of you, I know this series has been incredibly insightful. It's challenged you in new ways. It's been an opportunity for you to examine yourself, to examine your life, to make some changes, to have some conversations, to be in prayer, and to begin uh, finding real transformation that you've really been hoping for as you declutter some of those areas in your life, whether it was one one particular uh, sermon in the series or maybe all of them. For others of you, though, this series has touched you in a different way. Uh, it's okay if there hasn't been anything that's incredibly convicting, and here's why. Uh, I recently, about a week ago, joined the world of activity trackers, right? So I, I, I bought this little Fitbit thing right here. Uh, the Fitbit Blaze is what I got, and if you want to know why I picked this one over all the ones that we got, I'll talk your ear off about it. But I got this expecting it to do the thing that I think everybody expects it to do. I bought this thing because I was going to put it on my wrist and it was going to be my daily chaperone. It was going to come with me everywhere I went. It was going to judge me on the things that I ate, right? It was going to tell me that I I was taking in too many calories and I wasn't burning enough of them. It was going to tell me that I wasn't taking the proper amount of steps. I don't know when that became like the measure of activity in our day, but it has. And it was going to tell me I wasn't taking enough steps. It was going to tell me I wasn't drinking enough water. It was going to tell me all sorts of things that I wasn't doing well, that I wasn't doing properly, that I wasn't doing enough of or I was doing too much of. And it was going to tell me to change those things. Right? That's what I was fully expecting. That's why I bought it. I had this expectation that it was going to show me all these ways in which I was not doing well so that I could start doing better in those ways. But something surprising happened when I began to wear this, and then I began to obsessively check the app on my phone to see how many steps I had taken and to see uh, to log in my water intake and, and to check my calories that I've burned. Something surprising happened. As I would open up the app and I would look, I was actually quite surprised at how well I was doing. I would see the number of calories burned or the number of steps that I had taken, and I was thinking back across my day thinking, when did all this happen? When did this take place? When did I burn all these calories? When did I take all these steps? Where did this come from? And then I would see something on there that it said, you had 35 minutes of activity where your heart rate was elevated. And I was like, what? No, I didn't. And so I would open up the little graph, and I would look at it, and I would go, what time was that? Where, where is it saying that I had a spike in, you know, in my heart rate? And I looked and I saw the time on one of the days and I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's when I was playing basketball with Charlie for a little while. My heart rate was up. I was getting some activity then. I just didn't remember. I didn't think to log that. And, and all my life when I, was, when I was walking without this thing, I was ignoring some of the really good stuff that was going on in my life. And I was only focusing on the bad Here's why I tell you that. For some of you, this series has been like that. This series has been your Fitbit, right? You've learned something surprising that you actually are not doing as bad as you thought you were. Sure, there's still clutter. Sure, sure, there's still chaos in our lives. We all have that. But a lot of the things that we've been talking about and some of the principles and some of the practices when we try to declutter our lives, you're actually finding out you're doing quite well. There's some really good things going on in our life that we are now just going to build on, right? We're not starting from scratch. We're not starting from some base zero level. You've actually been doing some really good work in your life, and this series has served to encourage you 
hopefully, and that you can continue to build on all the good that you've been doing so far. So whether the series has been a catalyst for new change in you, for, for uh, a new way of living, or this has been a series that has encouraged you and affirmed some of the work you're already doing in your life, I hope that the transformation that is coming lasts long beyond this series, long after this week, that it becomes something that you live by continually um, from now on. So, so far in the series, we've talked about hurry, we've talked about noise, we've talked about our past. If you've missed any of those uh, in this series, they're all available on our website. They're also on our iTunes podcast. You can download and listen to them for the first time or listen to them again. But today, we're going to wrap up the series uh, by talking about our stuff. And more specifically, we're going to talk about money. Now, when I say that, I know that many of you in here get a little nervous, Right? We, we all get a little nervous. Some of you have already been nervous because when I asked you to turn to the scripture, you saw what scripture it was, and you're like, oh, crud, the pastor's talking about money today. And you've been a little squirmy in your seat, figuring out, you know, can I go to the bathroom and sneak out of here? I, you know, today's supposed to be Mother's Day. We're this is supposed to be like a softball sermon where we all just hug each other at the end, right, and leave. Uh, why is he talking about money? I, I totally get it. I totally get it. I understand why we get nervous when the pastor gets up and says we're going to talk about money. Because we've all had experiences where in a church or in a religious setting, we have a pastor get up, start talking about money, and that gets abused. We've been to churches where it seems like every Sunday that's all they talk about. How the church needs more money, and you got to give more money, and you're not giving enough money. And we've all been in that situation. We've all seen uh, where people, uh, uh, religious leaders and faith leaders get up, and they talk about money. And you've seen it used for personal gain. You've seen people talk about money, and they've talked about it in this prosperity gospel type, right? Where they just tell you, if you would just give more, the more you give, right, like the more wealthy and prosperous you become. Like somehow when you give more money, like a, a plane is going to show up. Like, oh, look, you get a plane now. You've reached like this certain level uh, of giver. Like you're in this club now that God says all members of this club get a plane, right? Like this is, that, they've talked about it, and I want to tell you that, that, A, this is not this church. That's not what we believe, any of that stuff. Uh, that's not how we operate. Um, uh, it, it is not what I'm going to preach. We're not going to pass the plates again at the end of the sermon. Uh, <laughs> The point of today's sermon, I don't, I, in this church, I don't want anything from you, right? This is not where this sermon is going. But I absolutely do want something for you. And we're going to get to that as we go on. Uh, giving and generosity is obviously a very important part of, of our faith. But that's not what this sermon is about. Uh, we're, not, we're not talking about that. But we're going to talk about something else uh, that I think is uh, not talked about enough in our faith. Um, our deep connection that we have, uh, deep and direct connection that our spiritual life has with the way we handle our money, with the way we spend our money, with the way we, we account for, for what we have. This is true. We don't want it to be true, but it is. Uh, when we look at the scriptures, we'll find there's 500 verses on prayer, right? Prayer is pretty important in our faith. There's almost 500 verses on faith, but there are over 2,000 verses that talk about money. In our scripture, over 2,000 verses. If you look at the teachings of Jesus alone, about 15% of what he teaches is about money. Jesus talks about more money more than he talks about heaven and hell combined, right? Like, so it's a pretty important topic for Jesus. Half of the parables that Jesus teaches are about money. 
Money is an important thing in the life of our faith. Though we don't want it to be connected, it is. There is a foundational connection between our spiritual life and the way we handle money. Now, if you're in this room or you're upstairs and, and you're not a Christian, you came here today because it's Mother's Day and you're trying to be nice to your mom, right? And you're here and, you know, you're just looking at your watch waiting to get out of here. Um, that's okay, uh, but I don't want you to glaze over today's stuff. You can glaze over the Jesus stuff if you want, but I want you to hear this because this is important for everyone, every human being, right? If you handle money, this is important for us. And there's a way that we live, whether you're Christian or not, that we tend to live here in America that actually invites stress. It invites worry. It invites fear. And what we are seeking is something other than that. And so I know that probably sounds good to you, even if you don't believe all this Jesus stuff, so I don't want you to check out. I want you to listen. But if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian and, and you have made Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life, and you're trying to be the best follower of Jesus that you can, this is not an option. This is not an option, as we'll find out in Scripture, that for Jesus, like, this is a mandate. This is vital to the health of our faith and to the health of our emotions, our emotional health, our relational health. Uh, the, the health of those that, that we, we seek to live into re, in relationship all around us, our physical health even. This is, this is a mandate. This is not optional for us. So when we talk about cluttered finances, what are we talking about? Throughout this series, we've described clutter as something that crowds out possibilities, right? It's, uh, it, clutter leaves no room for the things that we wish to do now because it's all clutter. We have no room to do the things that we want to do now. And it also crowds out any possibilities that we may have for the future, any potential that we have for the future. Think of a cluttered closet. You can't add more clothes, uh, the, your future wardrobe, because there's not enough room as is. And in your present, you can't even find the things that you want, right? Because it's all cluttered. So it, it hampers your potential now and in the future. That's what cluttered does. And so cluttered finances operate the same way. When we leave no space between the money that's coming in and the money that's going out, our finances become cluttered because it leaves very little options for us in the present, and it also crowds out any potential that we have for the future. Here's what I know about us, and I'm guessing it's true for a lot of us in this room, a lot of us upstairs, is that we all have an income, whatever that number is, probably varying degrees throughout uh, our campus, but we all have an income, and we all live on a percentage of that income. Duh, <laughs> right? We all have an income. We all live on a percentage of that income. What percentage varies from person to person, and what percentage greatly determines whether or not our finances are cluttered? Some of us live on a very low percentage of our income. Some of us live on like 95, 98, 100% of our income. Other of us are living at like 110% of our income, which is not good, by the way. Usually big numbers are great, but this is not a good number to have. And, and we have that. Here's what I know is we all have an income. We all live it on a percentage of that income. A lot of us in, that, in this room and upstairs uh, think that if we just had a little bit more, doesn't matter what our income is currently. If we just had a little bit more, things would be so much better. Just, just a tiny bit, not a lot. Just a little bit more than we have now. Things would be so much better. Things would be so much more comfortable. There would be so much margin uh, in our finances, and we'd feel a lot better. Here's the other thing I'm going to guess. If you feel that way, you probably felt that way when you made a lot less money. You felt the exact same way. If I just had a little bit more 
Imagine back with me, uh, back when you were about 18, 19, 20 years old. Some of you got to really rewind the memory back. Get back to when you're 18, 19, 20 years old. You're finally living on your own for the first time, right? Like you, maybe you're going to college. Uh, maybe you're out in the workforce and you're working. And you can remember how much money you made then. You scraped by, right? I can remember uh, going to school and, and uh, you know, just the laughable amount of money that I lived on. Right? I had several roommates so that we could pay rent and, and do our best to keep the electricity on. Ate ramen noodles for almost every single meal. Right? Like We scraped by, but we made it. And I can remember back then living paycheck to paycheck. I think about it now. I think, man, life was so much simpler then. Uh, and in some ways it was. But it was also very stressful at the end of the month trying to scrape together change and dig it in a couch to try to make sure our lights can stay on. You know, uh, and, and that life living paycheck to paycheck was so stressful. And I would think, I could remember thinking then, if I just had a little bit more, I mean, just a little bit more, I would be set. Life would be so much better. Just a little bit more is all I need. And, and, and then I won't have to live paycheck to paycheck anymore. I could get a lot more comfortable. But for most of my life, anytime I got a raise, anytime I got a raise in, in, my, in my annual salary, no matter how small or big it was, anytime I got a raise, I found out I was still living paycheck to paycheck. I found that that same feeling I had, if I just had a little bit more, persisted within me. I want to show you a, a graph. Um, this, this is obviously no numbers or anything, but this is what for all of us uh, our hope for our earning would be over the course of our lifetime. Now, I know in reality, for many of us, that line really looks more like this, 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 this. For some of us, it went up and then down and then flatlined, right? Like, it's like, beep. Um, but we have, we have this income that we hope over time goes up. But the problem is, what, ha what happens is when we spend, what's that second graph? We have this pink line where our spending goes right up underneath that earning. This is what my life looked like for the majority of my life. And why is that? Well, the simplest way to put it is that every time I earned more, I spent more. That's what that graph shows you. When I earned more, I spent more. And this is how a lot of our life works. Uh, but really, if, if I want to look deeper, at a deeper level, what was going on deeper inside me is I was confusing this idea of standard of living and quality of life. I was confusing this idea of standard of living and quality of life. I, I thought that if I raised my standard of living, that I would raise my quality of life. When in fact, those two things are not inseparably linked. Those two things are not the same thing. Really good advertising will tell you that it is. Uh, but those two things are not the same thing. But this is a common misconception, as it turns out, that many of us believe. We believe that as we earn more, we want to raise our standard of living so our quality of life get be gets better. But standard of living costs money, right? That's how you raise your standard of living. You, you pay for that. It costs dollars to raise your standard of living. And when you run out of dollars, good news, there's debt, right? And then you can raise your standard of living even more. But what we confuse here is that we want actually quality of life. And quality of life does not cost money. Quality of life does not cost dollars, but it requires discipline, and that's not as fun. Discipline's not near as fun as dollars, right? I love to spend money. I love things. love to get things. And, and when we confuse quality of life and standard of living, when we equate the two and we want the two to be the same thing, this is what happens. We continue to chase after dollars or debt 
in order to earn more so that we can raise our standard of living, hoping that we will eventually find this quality of life that we look for. And many of us find ourselves buried under debt and under bills. We were buried under a house payment because we bought too much house or we bought cars that we really couldn't afford in the first place. And we're buried under this stuff that we thought was going to bring us happiness, that we thought was going to bring fulfillment, it was going to bring peace. It was going to bring this quality of life that we hoped for. And yet we can end up finding ourselves stressed out and worried and miserable. We don't want to go home to this big, beautiful house because we don't like the people that live in it anymore. Because we're not nice people to be around either because I'm constantly stressed about, work, about money and how we're going to pay for the things that are supposed to be making us happy. This is what happens, and then we get trapped. And then something happens that, that Jesus is going to talk to us right here. Then when we're trapped by that, we find out that we are really not in control of ourselves anymore. Something owns us. Something else controls us. And it's not ourselves, and it's not God. So let's look to Scripture real quick. Let's find some good news in all this. Uh, when we look to Scriptures in, in, in chapter 6 uh, of, of Matthew, this is the Sermon on the Mount. We're right smack dab in the middle of it. For three chapters, Jesus uh, preaches a sermon on like everything, right? He like goes over the whole gambit, right? Uh, he, he starts in chapter 5, and he's preaching to all these multitudes. He goes through 6. He preaches through chapter 7. Big long sermon. Right here in chapter 6, uh, verse 19, is when he begins to talk about money. He begins to talk about possessions. He begins to talk about wealth and property and what it means to participate in those things, to participate in a world while also trying to love God, trying to be a follower of Jesus here. So uh, we have in chapter 19 a very familiar section of scripture. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is not where we're going to land today. I think it's important for the context of where we're getting at. One thing I want to point out as you uh, pray about this later, uh, treasures in heaven um, we often mistake as only pertaining to the future, right? Like we, we read that we, we do all these things now and then we store up these things for later consumption, right? Treasures in heaven is not just about the future. Heaven is where God is, and God is in the future, but God is also in the present, and God resides within each and every one of us. So when we talk about, talk about storing up treasures in heaven, this is also something that happens in the present, but it happens within us where moths and vermin cannot get to it. It's not in the physical things that we have out here. We store up those treasures uh, within. But let's keep going. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light, is, if then the light in you is darkness, how great, or some translations will say how terrible, is the darkness. This is a weird left turn for Jesus. Uh, when you read this, you're like, what even is Jesus talking about right now? Uh, again, this is not where we're resting. Uh, this is a, one of those moments where Jesus generally is really clever and really gettable, right? This is one of those ones like, Jesus, I, you probably should have thought about this one a little more. This one doesn't quite make sense to me. Uh, but really, uh, a quick way to understand this is that back then people thought in this culture that the eye let light out of the body, right? The eye was where light came out of your body and guided 
your behavior. So Jesus is using this common idea, this common knowledge about how uh, our eyes and our behavior work to say that what we do on the outside is a reflection of who we are on the inside. And that, why couldn't he just say that? That made a lot more sense. Or why couldn't he go back to that tree metaphor that he uses a lot about fruit, right, and the inside and what comes out? It makes a whole lot more sense. But that's that. Um, also, uh, the idea of healthy and unhealthy. Uh, some translations uh, talk about the use of the Greek words here is actually to imply uh, healthy as generous and unhealthy as greed. But that's for another time. We, we don't have time for that now. Verse 24. This is where we want to be. Verse 24. Jesus is getting this teaching on money, and he wants to land right here on this point. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus talks about money because he understands that there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual life and how we handle our money. We don't want this to be true. It's kind of a weird thing to talk about. That's why we, you know, we, we kind of feel grimy when we talk about it because we really, we really hope that these two things aren't connected, that we can do whatever we want with our money over here, and then we can just come to church and come to God with our anger stuff and like the forgiveness stuff, right? Like that's where God's uh, rule is, but we don't really want it to be uh, over our finances. This is a tough thing for us. Martin Luther, the famous reformer, uh, many of you know who that is, uh, was fam- has famously said that there are three conversions that every person must go through. The first is the conversion of the head, the second is the conversion of the heart, and the third is the conversion of the pocketbook. Our finances, when they become cluttered, when we keep those separate from God, when they become cluttered, when we, when we live with no margin, whether it's because we have so raised our standard of living right up to the line of our earnings so that there's no space, there's no room there, there's no margin, or just because maybe we've been undisciplined uh, with our money. Our standard of living hasn't really changed all that much, but we have no idea where our money's going. We just spend it on stuff, and, and it's gone. No matter what, but when our finances become cluttered, we become slaves to our money. Better put, is money becomes our master. We become slaves to that. We become trapped by it because there is no, no room for us. There's no margin. There's no possibilities there for us. We can't possibly be generous uh, and, and follow God and God's leading. We can't possibly uh, live totally peaceful, worry-free lives because there's no, there's no margin there. What happens when some catastrophe happens in our life? What happens when we lose a job? What happens when medical bills rise up? What happens when something unforeseen comes along and we have no space, no cushion to deal with that? What happens when this great opportunity comes along for you to serve and to give and to bless somebody, but there's no margin for you there? You become slave to your money. Money becomes your master. When we become buried in debt, when we're buried under bills, when every month we see those bills come in and we see the amount of money that we've already spent and then we have to pay out and how that money is building and, and we have to pay more, we're even paying more money than what we borrowed in the first place. Creditors are calling. We have stuff that we're paying bills on things that we don't even know where those things are. We're still paying for Christmas and it's May. We find ourselves in those situations. We become slaves to that. 
You know the average American household pays almost $7,000 a year in interest. Just interest. That's, if you were to look at the average household income in America, that's almost 10% of the average household income is paid out by the average American household in interest. 10% paid out to nothing. 10%. That sounds familiar. That 10% should be going somewhere else. But that 10%, that's a lot. That's a lot of money that goes to nothing. Do you know that since 2003, the average American debt, the household debt, has risen 15% faster than the income of that household? Now, that's actually good news because about seven years ago, it was about 40% during the recession that, our, that every household's debt was rising about 40% faster than its income. So we've actually brought that down, but we're still over the line. If we were to look back at that old graph, the pink line would actually now be over the yellow line. This is, this is the reality in America that we live in. It may not be your specific reality, but this is our reality. This is an epidemic in our country where we are outspending what we are earning, and we are leaving ourselves not only no room, but we are indebting ourselves. We are enslaving ourselves to a standard of, uh, of a living that we can no longer afford. When money becomes your master, Jesus says this, and this is, the harsh, this is the harshest reality for us, but what Jesus says is that you cannot serve two masters. If money is your master, if you are a slave to your money, it is impossible for you to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. It's impossible because at some point when push comes to shove, one thing wins over the other. Some of you know this. At work, you have two bosses, right? <laughs> that never works. But you have two bosses, and, and one boss tells you to do one thing, and another boss tells you to do another, and you have to make a choice. One of those bosses wins. One of their directions wins. You can't always follow both of them. A lot of the times, they can, they can work together. They can live together, just like uh, when money's your master, you can, you can live under God's rule. But at some point, there becomes a choice. Here's what I mean by that. God might call you in your life. We've talked about this already. But God might call you in your life to respond to something, to be generous. And you, your heart is pulling at you, and you want, you want to reach out, and you want to bless people. But your, your visa bill says, sorry, not this month. I know you want to do these things, but you got to take care of me first. You want to love your family more. You want to bless your family more. But your mortgage bill has got you so stressed out and so worried that all you look at them as are people that spend money. And we can't spend that money because we got to use it to pay for this house that we live in. And it creates a tension between the people that you love the most and you because there's stress that exists. When God calls us to, to live into the fullness of our lives, to, to find peace but we can't find that peace. We can't stop worrying. We can't stop fearing the future because we're looking at our bills and we're looking at what we got to pay for and we can't afford it. Of course we're going to worry. Or maybe we're not buried in debt, but man, we are riding that line. We are so close to the edge with our spending and our earning. There's no space there. There's no freedom there. There's no peace there. How can we not worry when we're living that close to the edge, and we have no margin, and we have no space. Stuff is not the problem. Stuff is just stuff, right? I like stuff. I just bought stuff, right? Like, stuff is not the problem. Stuff is just stuff. 
It can't be good or evil. It's just things. What we're talking about here is margin. What we're talking about here is living with space, creating space so that we can live into the fullness that God has called us to be and to not be held back, to not be tied down, to not be burdened, to not be enslaved to our money. This is what Jesus wants for us. He has no prescription here for the amount of money you should make in a year or how much you should save or any of that. Jesus is talking about just don't be a slave to money. Don't be a slave to your things. Be free. This is what I've called you to be. So we have to, if we live cluttered lives financially, we have to begin to create space so we can find that peace and freedom that God wants for each and every one of us. You want this. Those of you that live live cluttered financial lives, you are desperate for this. But you're not really, some of you aren't quite sure it's possible, not quite sure how to get there. You are so smart. You know how to do it. Uh, but if you need help, here, here are some things that, uh, that can help us. Uh, first off, I want to show you, uh, here's, our, here's that graph that we showed earlier. This is what cluttered finances look like. This is really what we're talking about here, right? You can see how earning goes up and standard of living actually continues to go up. But as those things go, we continue to make more and more space between the two. And in that space is where we find the freedom and we find possibilities, and we find peace. If you need help doing it, here are the four ways to do that. Four Ds to go along with declutter, right? This is the easy way to do it. First is just decide to do it. If this is your life, if you're living a financially cluttered life, you just have to do it. You just have to get so mad at the situation and just say, you know what, I don't care what it takes, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to find space in my life. I'm going to create space in our finances because I want to be free from this feeling that I feel each and every month. I want to get free of that. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know how I'm going to get there, but doggone it, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to decide. Today is the day. Many of you are living this life already. You've been, free, you've, you've been working on this, and maybe you need to step into somebody's life in here or up there that is needing this help, and you can, and you can help them with this. But you just have to decide that today is the day when I start declaring my finances. No more excuses. I'm not going to blame the economy anymore. I'm not going to blame the president or the past president. I'm not going to blame any of that anymore. I'm not blaming recession. All that might have played a part, but I, I have the ability to step in and take control of it. So I'm going to decide to do it. The second thing to do is this, determine a goal. Right? We want to live on a percentage of our income. We want that income, that percentage to be lower than 100%, right? And we just determine what that is. What's possible? What's feasible for our family? You obviously know that you have to ha- have a roof over your head and you have to have a vehicle that gets you uh, to and from the place that's going to give you money so that you can pay for these things, right? You know you have to have these things, but it may not mean that you have the things that you currently have, right? It might just be different than those things. But we know we have to have them. And just determine what that goal is. You need help? If you, don't, if you have no idea, uh, the most elementary way of looking at it is to have the 10-10-80 rule, right? Uh, when you get paid right off the top, 10% goes to God. You give it. Um, I think this church is a great place to give that. But if, if that's not for you, find your favorite nonprofit and give it there. Uh, but 10% right off the top is given away. Uh, the next 10% is put into savings, and then you live off 80%, right? Uh, that sounds way too simple, but, you know, there it is. That's what some people do. That might work for you if you need help determining a goal. 
But setting that goal, determining that goal, and then, and, and then deciding to do it. The third is this, decreasing our spending. This is the hardest one. <laughs> this is the hardest one because we don't want to do that part. We want everything else to work out, but we, won't, we don't want to stop spending our money on the things we spend our money on. The difficult truth of decluttering our lives, it often means we're going to have to lower our standard of living in order to raise our quality of life. We're not talking about lowering it all the way down to the floor, but it often means that we do have to decrease our spending and lower our standard of living in order to increase our quality of life. You'll find when you do that, it's really hard at first, but the rewards are exponentially greater than, than what you lose. You'll find that that is true. So you got to do that. Uh, the fourth thing is uh, debt reduction. you got to reduce your debt. Um, debt can come in many ways. Unforeseen things that you did not bring upon yourself or things that you did. could be school loans, medical loans. Uh, you got car payments. you got credit cards. Uh, debt keeps you hampered to the past, right? It keeps you uh, enslaved or under the thumb of those that hold those notes, right? You have to get out from under that debt. Some of you are in just a little bit of debt, and you can very much see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you can get that done. Other use, others of you might be under a crippling amount of debt, and you have no idea where to begin. So you get your fifth bonus D here uh, if you need help with any of this, whether it's getting out of debt uh, or just creating a budget, figuring out how to live a decluttered life, and that's Dave Ramsey. Uh, no matter what you think about the person of Dave Ramsey, uh, I know that he has helped millions of people across the world, across the globe. He's helped hundreds of people in this church alone, uh, and I am one of them. I was very skeptical, but I took the class, and the principles and the tools that he has laid out from the Bible and from his experience of being underneath crippling debt changed my life, and it's something I still live with. Uh, today that continues to guide uh, my family's uh, financial life. And, and we have truly experienced that peace that he talks about. So he has uh, the class, our, our church teaches this class a, a couple times a year. He has a book. I think it's less than 20 bucks brand new on Amazon, or you can probably go to Half Price Books and find it. Uh, if you're not a reader, I think the audio book is like $10 or something like that, uh, and you can get that. But I commend that to you. If you want any guidance, any help, I mean, workbooks and everything all in there, uh, that help you, that guide you, especially for those of you that are looking at your situation, looking at the clutter of your finances going, I have no idea how the heck to even begin getting out of this and finding freedom and finding peace. Uh, this is a really great start and a really great investment. I'm running out of time. I've run out of time. But I want to say this one last thing. You notice that I didn't put tithing up there or giving, right? For me, uh, I'm, I'm not naive to think that everybody uh, in this church uh, tithes uh, to the church, but I'm also uh, bold enough to say that I think this should be a part of every Christian's life. Uh, I truly do. I, I didn't believe so, but I do. Uh, I believe even when you're trying to sort out the mess of your finances, this is an important practice for us uh, of giving uh, 10% of our finances away to something beyond ourselves. Uh, and the reason I believe that is this. When we decide with our head to put God first in our finances, to put God first in any part of our life. But when we decide with our head to do that in our finances with God, um, that we experience a heart transformation. And we do experience blessing and peace. And that blessing does not come in the form of a money tree in your yard. That blessing does not come in the form of a, a, a new boat or a new car. Um, it doesn't come in those forms. Uh, that's what other preachers would say, but we don't say that. Um, but that blessing does come in the form of peace and freedom that we all desire, that we all want. 
Because decluttering is so important, it creates space. In that space, we find freedom. I told you that I wanted something for you, not from you. And that's what I want for you. And that's what God wants for you is freedom. It's freedom from worry. It's freedom from fear. It's freedom from the bondage and the slavery of debt. God wants you to be free from that. But God also wants you to be free for love. He wants you to be free to love and bless those around you, to not be so stressed out by your worry and your fear that you can't love those around you. He wants you to be totally open to that. God wants you to be free for generosity in the ways that you want to be generous. We are generous people. We love to give and to bless others. But when our finances are cluttered, we can't do that. God deeply desires that for each and every one of us to be free for generosity, and to be free for peace, to find the peace that we so desire by creating space in our finances, by decluttering our finances. And this is true for all over our life, in all the ways that we've already been working and in the ways that we'll work in the future. I pray that beyond this series, that God continues to work in a shining light on those cluttered areas of our life, giving us strength to work through them and to find the space and the peace even amidst our cluttered and chaotic world. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for today. We thank you for everything that day is uh, in celebrating those that we love. We also thank you, God, for you and the love and the grace that you give us. We pray now that our entire life is given over to you, God, that we are fully, fo- fully devoted followers of your son, Jesus, in every aspect of our life, God. And that as we seek your freedom, as we seek your peace, God, give us the strength to persevere. Give us a light that shines the way, God, and help us lead others as we are finding our way as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen.